Today's scripture is found in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. So please open your Bibles and stand for the reading of God's word. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is God's word. You can be seated. All right. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Foothill Church. Uh, my name is Stephen Coppernath, one of the pastors here. It's good to have you all here. Hey, uh, before we jump into this passage, I just want to uh, point you towards something. We want to encourage you to join in with us next week. Um, we've been in the series, Meals with Jesus. And so uh, we, we thought it was fitting just to be able to kind of uh, celebrate the, the end of that series going into kind of towards the end of summer. Uh, we're going to have the habit here next week after the 11 a.m. service. Uh, we'd love to join, have you join us. Uh, buy a ticket ahead of time. Uh, join us for lunch. And... Uh, uh, just be able to have some community a little bit, enjoy one another's company, have some conversations around a meal um, as we wrap up the series. So if you want to be a part of that, and I hope you do, uh, foothill.church slash events. Um, go onto that website. You can actually go ahead and, and buy your ticket ahead of time. Uh, it's a burger and fries, and uh, we'll make sure I have drinks and stuff there as well. So please join us for that. Uh, make sure to do that ahead of time, so that way we can make sure to have a meal set aside for you, okay? All right, well, hey, we're going to jump into our, our, last, uh, our last sermon in this series and, and, and really just kind of point out the hope that we have as we see this, this uh, scripture uh, that many of you know when Peter is restored. So before we do that, let's bow our heads in a little prayer and we'll, uh, we'll jump in. God, thank you so much for uh, your word. We thank you for the way that you are shaping us as a community, as, in, as individuals, Lord, through scripture. Lord, I pray that you would do that this morning as we open up John 21, um, as we see the story that maybe many of us have studied or, or read before. Maybe it's the first time, Lord, but God, would it provide hope for us as we consider um, our, own, our own sinfulness and the way that you restore us in so many ways. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Well, um, hey, uh, just by show of hands, if you guys would be vulnerable enough to share a little bit, um, just by show of hands, how many of you have failed at something before? Raise, raise your hands. That's everybody, right? Uh, we've all failed at something before. All right, how many of you have failed publicly before, kind of in, in, a, in a large group of people before? Okay, maybe a few other hands. How many of you have failed and it's really impacted someone else directly before in your failure? Yeah. So, so this is kind of part of life, right? We, we fail at things often. It's part of the human condition where we try, we try our darndest, but honestly, a lot of times we fail. Uh, we, we don't quite hit the mark. And, and sometimes that failure kind of impacts other people. Sometimes that failure is something that, that a large group of people see and are impacted by. Um, I'm not sure if, any, if there's any like cyclists or bicycle kind of fans in, in the crowd today, but uh, if, you, if you are, you know about the Tour de France. Um, every year in July, there's this, this huge race. It's kind of the, the, the top race in the world where everybody gathers 200 
Wilderness Cyclists gather every year in July. Um, they meet together and they, they ride for 23 days this long race all over France. And so this past year, maybe you noticed, this is kind of pre-Olympics, but before you noticed on, on TV, there was a story that kind of happened um, kind of in front of everybody where, where this woman, she was uh, day one of the Tour de France. She, she's standing there with a sign. I think we have a picture of this. And uh, just as, as the race was getting started, you can even see the, kind of the starting marker in the background. She's holding the sign that says, go grandma and grandpa. All right, that's what it says, and she's standing in front. Maybe you've seen this story before on the news, and, and that first rider on the left clips the sign, and uh, what results is a massive crash. Like 45 cyclists fall down in this huge heap of spandex and, and wheels and, and all this stuff. And so um, it, it's this crazy crash. And, it, and it, her just kind of being out just a little bit further, you see her foot on the road, the sign being out too far, and it impacted this whole group of riders. And, and she kind of failed. It was a public fail in a, in a very real way. And I don't say this to be unkind to her. Obviously, we have all failed by show of hands. We've already done that, right? And so, uh, but part of this is just to remember and realize sometimes our failures are not private. Sometimes our failures and our failings are things that impact people and many people oftentimes around us. And so as we open up John 21 today and look at the story about Peter, it's, it's calling back to one of Peter's greatest failings in John 18. And it's when Jesus denied Christ um, in public over and over again. And it's this opportunity for Jesus to kind of have this conversation and it's kind of overdue in some ways. And, and we see Peter be restored in, in many ways. Peter had highs and lows throughout his ministry. Peter had many times where he actually did things well. When you're Peter, you kind of swing for the fences oftentimes. And sometimes you hit a home run, sometimes you strike out. And Peter was, uh, Peter was the first person through, through faith in, in God to walk on water. It's pretty amazing for all the stuff that Peter kind of, uh, we kind of throw, throw eggs at him sometimes. He actually walked on water because of his faithfulness to the Lord. Uh, Peter was also the one who rightly identified that Christ was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the one to come and save the world. And in fact, Jesus says, hey, keep that to yourself for a while, Peter. But Peter was, was the guy who saw that happening. But as we know in John 18, he was also the one to deny Christ. He was also the one, for, for all his talk, for all his kind of big game talk, he, he was the one who ran away out of fear for his own life when people said, hey, don't you know Jesus? Aren't you associated with this guy? And Peter says, no, it's, it's not me. And he does that three times in John 18. And so what we see here in John 21, if you back up a little bit before Alina read, John 21, three, we see that we are now in this place where Jesus has in fact been crucified. He's been raised from the grave. Uh, we, we have kind of the gospel story completes where Jesus has done this for us uh, through all the time. And he's been raised from the grave. Now he's appearing to people um, kind of in the area. And there's this conversation between Peter and Jesus. It's kind of a long time coming. It's this awkward chat that we're about to be uh, privy to a bit. And, and before we get there though, we see in John 21, three that, that Peter says, you know what, I'm going fishing. I'm gonna go back to my life that I was, I was doing, that I was up to before I even met Jesus. And so he says, hey disciples, come with me. Uh, they, they, they go fishing, they don't catch anything. There's a voice from the shore, you recall, and it's actually, it's actually Jesus. And he says, hey, uh, put your nets on the other side. They do, they catch a bunch of fish and they realize, oh my gosh, that's, that's him, it's, he's here. 
And uh, so Peter dives into the water. Uh, I love it, actually. It says that he grabs his cloak first, puts it on, and then he dives in the water. He's just so overwhelmed by the information that he's, he's hearing. And he, he jumps in the water to race to the shore uh, to meet Jesus on the shore. And this is kind of where we find ourselves in this Meals of Jesus series. And he's making breakfast. That's what Christ is doing here on the beach. He's making breakfast and and he's, he's preparing some fish. He's preparing some bread on the charcoal stove. And it's really this kind of amazing scene, this kind of quiet early morning with the God of the universe making breakfast for his guys. And they start having this conversation about love, about restoration. And through the process, Peter is offered grace. Peter is recommissioned for ministry. And Peter is restored. This conversation in John 21, 15 through 19, has a lasting impression on Peter. There, there are, are many generations of disciples who, including us today, who are, are, are kind of hearing this, and it's making this impression throughout all of history. In fact, in 1 Peter 5, 10, when, when Peter writes his own letters, he says this. He says, after you have suffered, we that up there? After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So Peter is writing this from personal experience. When he writes this in his his own letters that, that look, God himself, Jesus Christ himself has restored and confirmed me and upheld me and supported me. I can speak from experience and so as we read verses like that in 1 Peter 5, we realize that Peter knows what he's talking about because as a result of this passage today, we see this good news and the good news applies to you and I as well. Here's the big idea I want you to understand from this morning's passage, that no matter what your past looks like, no matter your past, God can fully restore you. That is good news for all of us this morning that no matter what your past is like, no matter what you've done, no matter what sin you've been involved in, there, that, that you are not beyond God's restoration, that you are not beyond God's grace. And, and so many of us know this kind of in theory, but many of us have not experienced this personally. And that would be my hope this morning. So as we read 15 through 17, let's, uh, let, let's dive in here. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So what we see here in 15 through 17, then the first point for us, if you're a note takers, if you want to write this down, the first thing I want you to understand is that as Christians, as, as redeemed people, as restored people, we are to love Jesus above everything else. That's what is happening here in these first few verses. We're supposed to love Christ above everything else. This is a powerful moment in the gospels because we have this betrayal of sin contrasted with ultimate restoration. That we're gonna see Jesus completely restore Peter to ministry, uh, completely restore Peter socially. It's this really powerful moment. 
And it's possible, many commentators actually think that Jesus, Jesus actually restored Peter privately already, that he'd forgiven him, that he'd had the conversation possibly ahead of time. But because Peter was a leader in the church, but because Peter was, was a leader amongst the disciples, it was important that he was also restored publicly in front of all his, his guys. So Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What we see here in verse 15 to start with what are the these here? And you can underline that or highlight that if you want to. Uh, there's a number of opinions on this, but I, I think that as, as I've studied this, I've, I've come to realize it's not the, the boat, it's not the fish, because if we go back to 21.3, we may think that, well, Peter has gone back to his old life, and so he's, he's started to think that, man, that's more important than, than anything else in this world, my old life, how I used to make money. I don't think that's what it is. In fact, I think he's talking about the these here are the disciples. Peter, do you love me more than these guys? Do you love me more than the disciples? And part of the reason why we think that is because Peter consistently throughout Jesus' ministry, he talked a big game about how, hey, if anybody was to punt, if anybody was to give up on you, Lord, it's not gonna be me. These guys may fall away, but I'm gonna be with you to the end. This is Peter's kind of MO in many ways. And so Jesus says, hey, do you love me more than these guys? And he does so kind of tongue in cheek because he knows that Peter abandoned him, that he, that he uh, rejected him in a time of need. And so Peter's probably feeling a little bit red and flushed and embarrassed here, dry mouth. There's probably something happening here where it's like, gosh, Jesus, why are you bringing this up right now in front of all these guys? And, and as we talk about his response, kind of this back and forth, I want you to see something here about love. Because Jesus uses this word love pretty consistently here. He, he talks about love in, in many ways. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar. Um, there's, there's a lot going on here. But this, this word uh, love is, is used differently uh, because it's the, this book was written in Greek, right? koinea. There's, there's different words for love happening here. And so when you look through 15 through 17, this back and forth of Jesus saying, Peter, do you love me? And, and, and Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. There's actually two different words that are being used here, okay? So the first word, Jesus uses agape. That's what he says. He, Peter, do you agape love me? And then Peter responds with, Lord, you know that I phileo love you. Okay, so some of you guys may even have heard those words before, phileo. That's, you guys have probably heard that uh, uh, Philadelphia, it's kind of the root word there, the, the, the city of brotherly love. And that's what he's responding to because these words are slightly different. Agape is kind of an ultimate, a higher love. It's like the best quality of love. And Peter responds and says, I phileo love you. I, I love you like a brother. So that's kind of the back and forth a little bit. It, it's almost kind of like uh, if you were to say, hey, do you have any butter? Uh, well, I have some margarine, right? It kind of does the same job a little bit, but it's not quite the same thing. Hey, do you have a yacht? I want to I ride your yacht. Well, I have a boat. So it, it, that's kind of what's happening here back and forth in the Greek. And so it's almost as if, if you read this, it says, Peter, do you love me with the highest type of love? And Peter responds, Lord, you know that I love you like a brother. Peter, do you love me with the highest, the most, most high in quality kind of love? Well, Lord, you know that, you know, you're my man, you're my brother. You're the, you're the one that I, I run to. And that's kind of what's happening back and forth. Now, the question is obviously, why, why is this? Why is there two different types of love in the Greek used here? Well, one thing that I, I think is possible is that when we fail, as we all have by, by show of hands, we've all said that out loud, we, we fail often. 
And what usually happens as a result of our failure? Well, usually the Lord uses that failure and he produces humility in our hearts. And oftentimes that humility gives us a right perspective about who we are and our relationship to the world. So when Peter is asked, Lord, do you, I mean, Peter, do you love me by the Lord? Peter says, well, I love you, but maybe not, maybe not the way that I should love you. Because clearly I've, I've blown it here in, in John 18 when he denied Christ. And so he says, hey, Peter, do you, do you love me? And Peter says, I, I, lo- I love you, Lord, but I could probably grow in my love for you. There is humility here where Peter is learning. And so he responds two more times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? You see, if you recall in John 18, the issue is not so much fear of the crowd or fear of embarrassment. Uh, maybe that's what we think is happening here. If you were to look back at 18, the night that, that Christ went to the cross, that there's this fear. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be seen uh, as somebody knowing Jesus. I don't want to uh, be taken the crowd. I don't want to die myself. That's perhaps happening a little bit. But what I think that Jesus is rightly identifying here in John 21 is it's actually an issue of love. And he says, Peter, do you love me above everything? Because Jesus wants our hearts. Jesus wants our affection. He wants our worship. And that's how restoration happens, church. When we rightly identify like, man, I I need to get my priorities straight when it comes to love. See, God is unique in wanting this deep type of change in our lives. Oftentimes you and I, we interact with people in relationships. I, I, you know, I talk to my kids, I talk to my parents or friends or coworkers and, and we interact kind of on the shallow level of conversation. And we oftentimes times talk about what we do or we, what we don't do. And so because of that, we think that God interacts with us sometimes at that same level when he sees deeper. In fact, God doesn't so much care about what we do. He cares about why we do it. That's what he's getting at here, the heart, the motivation, ultimately kind of worship and and how we see God clearly in that way. We think about output. We think about what we produce. And so that means if I'm I'm Peter and if I've denied Christ three times, then my output is, is bad. And so I am devastated. I'm completely ashamed and I can't believe I blew it in that way. On the flip side, if I'm Peter or if if, if in your own life, if we've nailed it and we've done a great job in the Christian life, then we get all prideful and puffed up and excited. And Christ rightly says, no, it doesn't matter what you do or you don't do. It matters a little bit, but mostly what I'm concerned about is, do you you love me? Do you love me? Are you... Are you putting me above all other things? In fact, Revelation 2, 4, Jesus does this again. He confronts the church in Ephesus. He says, look, you're tolerating false, you're, you're not tolerating false teachers. You're, you're being faithful when it comes to um, circumstances and persecution and trial and tribulation. You're doing a lot of things right, Ephesus, but one thing you lack is a true affection and love for me. So this is a big deal to Christ. This is a big deal for Peter. This is a big deal for us. In fact, uh, St. Augustine talked like this often when he talks about this idea of ordered loves. Maybe you guys have read him before, but in the City of God, he talks about ordered loves being on par with our virtue. And so he says this um, in that, but living a just and holy life requires one to be capable of an objective and impartial evaluation of things. This is the important part, to love things, that is to say, in the right order. 
So it is human, it is right for us to love things, to enjoy things, to be passionate about things, but it's, it's not right when we as Christians love kind of creative things above the creator. And that, that's when things kind of get wonky a little bit. That's when things don't line up. And this is what happens to Peter. And so part of God restoring us is saying, look, it does, it's not so much a matter of, of, hey, you need to start living a holy life. You need to start doing better in life. That's not God's message to us. His message is you need to have your loves rightly ordered. You need to have the things that you care about most be the things that I care about most. And this is his message to Peter. Look back at verse 15 through 17, because another thing I want you to see here is, is point two is that, that Peter is not out of a job. Peter is not out of a job. Let me read this to you again. Uh, each time when he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You know that I love you. He says, feed my lambs. He says, tend my sheep. He says, feed my sheep. And so point two, church, is, is this. When we are in the process of restoration, we are called to serve the church however we can. Serve the church however we can. It's awesome here. It's incredible that, that, that Peter is given his job back. It, even though he's failed massively, he's still given his job back. And he's not only forgiven, he's given a, he's been given a purpose. Uh, this is what happens consistently in Scripture. Now, not only are we forgiven, but we're given a job. In fact, if you recall, uh, if you fast forward to the story of Saul, who becomes Paul, the Apostle Paul, um, he has this radical transformation on the road to Damascus. Jesus himself meets him there. Um, he, he blinds him and he says, look, Saul, you spent your days persecuting Christians and now I have another, another job for you to do. I have a new task ahead for you. And he says, you're to plant churches. You're to preach the gospel. You're to write most of the New Testament. And this is kind of what Jesus does consistently. So he doesn't call Peter a failure. He doesn't say, stay away from my people. You'll just mess it up, which is kind of what we do. He says, no, feed my sheep. Tend to my lambs. Feed my lambs. He says, do this spiritual work that's, that's born of, of having our loves rightly ordered. And this conversation is incredibly impactful on Peter. I also love that this conversation happens at breakfast time. I'm not sure about, about you all, but uh, it's, it's great to see that Peter is restored at the start of the day. Not towards the end. It's not lunch or afternoon coffee. It's at breakfast. And it's almost as to say, Christ is saying, hey, Peter, I want to give you a fresh start today. I wanna give you kind of a, a brand new start when it comes to going and doing this new work that is born of, of having our loves rightly ordered. And says, if you really love me, then you'll serve my church. Serve my church however you can. That you'll tend to their heart and their soul, that you'll care for them. So uh, a few things are happening here. One, one thing, as we kind of understand this feeding of the lambs and the sheep, tending to the sheep, there's certainly a, a spiritual feeding that he's talking about from Pastor Peter to his people, okay? So that's kind of partly what's happening here. He said, he's saying, look, he be faithful in, in feeding my sheep what they're supposed to eat. And, and so there's this, this preaching of the word. That's kind of what's happening right now. And that's certainly important to us here at Foothill, that every time we open up our Bibles, that we see this as food for the soul. And so whether or not you are hungry or not this morning, I'm, I'm saying as one of your pastors, you need to consume this and, and see this as important in your life. That's part of the imperative here. But secondly, I love that there's also this aspect of pastoral care that's being reminded 
of tending my sheep, not just feeding my sheep, but tending to their needs, uh, caring for them, serving them. And this applies to Pastor Peter, but it also applies to all Christians. It also applies to all of us. So Chris already said in the announcements, but I would encourage you as, as we think about how to best serve the church, Many of you who have been on the path of restoration over the last few years, last few months, maybe for your whole lifetime, that part of, part of understanding how we are forgiven is that we've been given a purpose to serve one another. And so we have an opportunity right now to sign up and, and serve legitimately in the church. Uh, you can serve in great ways. And so the question has to be asked, you know, who is being fed, who is being served for Christ's sake through you? Who is being strengthened? Who's being cared for for the name of Christ because you're involved? Are, are people more spiritually healthier around you because you're around them? Is that true of you? Is that true of those who you are leading? You see, it's not just enough to do no harm. If we, if we think that not doing anything is okay, that we can kind of you know, sit in the back of the room or sit in the back row, not, no, no shade at all to people sitting in the back of the room. But it's like, if we do that spiritually, right? If we think about, it's like, hey, I can just kind of sit back and do my own thing. That's not enough. The Christian life is about, about taking the salvation that we've been given and having that turn into fruit spiritually that we would go and do on behalf of the grace that we've been offered. And again, this is obvious, but your past sin does not disqualify you from being involved in these ways. Your past, uh, your, your past sinful life doesn't mean that you can't do um, what God has called you to do. In fact, God will use your past. I've heard so many stories from some of you, from other people in my life where God has rescued people from sin and put them into service for, for Lord Jesus and, and in powerful ways because there's an opportunity for us to see, hey, I, I feel like this person, their present is like my, my past. And so I can serve them in a way. I, I have a friend um, who, who actually kind of lived a life of crime before. There's, there's this consistent kind of thread in his life where you know, he didn't have a lot going on as far as just mentors and help. And so he actually ended up kind of in his teens and 20s, um, he was a, a car thief. He would boost cars, he would steal, uh, steal cars consistently and he did this for years. And so uh, over time, he got caught, he got put in jail, he got put in prison, he served his time there. And in prison, he was radically saved by the Lord. And, and his, his life is completely different. So he came out of prison, and um, as a result, he lives up near the Fresno area. As a result, uh, when, when he came out of prison, he became a pastor. He wanted to preach. He wanted to um, help people who were in his position beforehand. And it's, it's amazing because he used to steal cars, and he actually was really good at it, okay? So if you can be good at sin, he was good at sin. And, and as a result of that understanding of that world, he was actually able as a pastor now to go and kind of wheel and deal in a legal way uh, to be able to find cars and find resources for, for widows and people in his church. And he's actually been able to give out free cars to people in his church because of what God has done in his heart. And so it just, look, look we're, none of us are beyond God using our past for, for future service. This is exactly what God does consistently. And so I would encourage you to not be a minimalist, not to hoard when it comes to the love that we've been offered, the grace that we've been shown. We've been forgiven of so much. We are uh, a room full of sinners. And so when Jesus finds Peter on the beach and he says, hey, Peter, get back on your feet. He's speaking to all of us. And he's saying, look, help people. 
Practice hospitality. Uh, teach children. Host a growth group, right? There are lots of opportunities for us to step in and serve, to give people access to our resources, to say, hey, you can use my backyard. You can use my house. You can use my dorm room, my apartment. Uh, for, for Christian community, there's lots of opportunities for us to step up and to serve in those ways. And so we see that restoration is a story arc here in chapter 21. It's a process that requires finishing well. So the, let me read this for you in verses 18 and 19. We'll get to our last point. Verse 18 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So what do we, what do we have going on here? Well, the, our last point when it comes to the restoration process is, is simply this, follow Jesus and finish well. Follow Jesus and finish well. So now that, that Christ has restored Peter, now we look to the future. And, and believe it or not, Peter is being given a gift here in verses 18 and 19. Because uh, maybe, maybe you guys in your friends' groups or families have talked about this kind of like, kind of dark question before of like, hey, would you want to know if you could how and when you would die? I'm not sure if you guys would want to know that or not. I, mean, I feel that's probably kind of a split jury there, but, but there's, there's a sense of like, that'd be kind of interesting to know that. And this is exactly what Peter is being given as far as a gift. Because we see here that, look, when you're old, Peter, there's going to be somebody who comes along, who, who grabs you by the hands, who, who ties you up and takes you to a place that you don't want to go. Right now, that's not your life. Right now, you kind of come and go as you want to. Uh, you have that freedom and youthfulness, but one day there will be someone who will lead you to a place you'd rather not be. And there's this kind of uh, illusion here of, he's saying, your, your arms will be stretched out. He's talking about crucifixion. He's saying your hands will be pulled out and stretched out. And according to church tradition, we see that 30 years later, this is exactly what happened to Peter. Peter is crucified. In fact, he's crucified upside down because he, he realized that I, out of faithfulness to Christ that I, I shouldn't even be crucified in the same way that my, my Savior was. So, but, but imagine hearing this in verse 18. Imagine being given this gift uh, in a way. Maybe it's a gift that we wouldn't want to receive. And in one sense, Peter's being told that he is going to be crucified uh, as an old man. Man, that's, that's terrifying. That's horrible right? That's bad news in a way. But on the other hand, we realize that this is actually amazing news. This is hopeful news because Peter realizes in hearing this that I will never let my Savior down again. I will never let him down the way that I did before. And I have to imagine that this actually, while, while it's bad news, death is bad, it's, it's awful, there's also this flood of peace that comes over Peter. And he realizes I will be faithful to the end. And it probably emboldens Peter in a way where it's like, I, I wasn't sure. Because we, we all kind of have that sense, if we failed at something before, that, man, I might mess this up again in the future. And Peter's being told by Christ that you will stay faithful. With my help, you will stay faithful to the end. What a gift that Jesus has given him. He's restored him socially. He's restored him personally. They've buried the hatchet, but he's also said, Peter, you will not punt on the faith you will endure towards the end. And then in verse 19, I already read it, but at the very end, he says, follow me. 
He says, Peter, follow me. And, and the way that it's written there in the Greek, it's actually this continuation of what he's already been doing over time. He says, hey, continue to follow me uh, because maybe you perhaps need that reminder now. And the setting is important. Three years earlier, along that same shoreline, along the Sea of Galilee, this is when Peter was initially being given that invitation. Jesus is walking around. He says, hey, you, Simon Peter, you, you follow me. Come follow me. And Peter says, I'm in. And he's been given this invitation once again at the end of John, knowing the end, knowing, knowing what lies ahead, knowing that, that he's experienced all these years with Christ by his side. Hey, will you still follow me? And I just want to say, church, this is an invitation to Peter, but it's also for us. Many of you have been Christians for many years. Some of you maybe in the last just few years and months. But especially for those who have been uh, faithful for years, I want you for just a moment to think back on your, on your youthful days. When you first came to Christ, maybe it was when you were five years old with your parents, maybe it was a youth camp, maybe it was many years ago in your 20s. Whatever the case is, you recall the joy of your salvation. You recall that, that time in your life when you were like on fire for the Lord. When you said, I will do anything for you. God, if you want me to move to, to China, I will do that. If you want me to die for you, I'll do that. I'll, I'll go, wherever, go wherever you want me to go. And there's this callback that Christ is doing for Peter that he extends to us as well. He says, look, knowing everything that you've known in your life, how it's gone so far, are you still in? Will you still continue to follow me? And so I want that to sit on our shoulders this morning for just a minute. Knowing everything that you've experienced in this life, knowing the ups and downs that you've experienced since you've been in Christ, are, are you still in, are you still a disciple? Are you still one who would follow Christ wherever he would lead you? And this is what Jesus extends to all of us today because it doesn't matter what your past is, it doesn't matter what, what, what's happened as far as sin in your life, God can restore you and he's still calling us to follow him every single day. Let's bow our heads, let's ask God for help in that. God, we, we do thank you, Lord, for this, this chance to remember your, your call to Peter. God, we're grateful, Lord, for this example that we see, that even though we fail often, and we will continue to do so, that you have called us uh, into a new purpose, that you've given us grace, that you've offered us restoration. And Lord, just like Peter, you are, you are re, re-engaging the question, will you follow me? Will you continue to follow me? Will you continue to be discipled? Uh, by Jesus. And so, Lord, I, I pray that that would strike, strike a chord with those sitting here this morning, that many of us who maybe, uh, maybe made this decision many years ago, that, that we would be reminded of the joy of our salvation, the joy of our youth, and in, in who you are, and picking up our Bible for the first time, and reading about the gospel, and that we would re-engage and say, yes, Lord, I'm still, I'm still following you. God, for those who are maybe hearing this for the first time, Lord, I pray that you would stir up in their heart a calling to follow you for the first time. God, that, that through, through the story of Peter and, and realizing that we, we all do fail, that there is a God who loves us enough to send his son to die on our behalf so that we could follow him and be with him forever. God, would that be, would that be enticing? Would that be something we all desire this morning? God, help us in that in this, this everyday work of discipleship and getting closer and closer to who you are. And praise all your name. Amen.